This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome back to The Gospel for Life. Pastor Russ continues to be out of town this week, and so joining me in studio today along with Ryan and Jonathan is Mr. Brandon Lockridge. Good morning, Brandon. Good morning. Thank you. Yeah, Brandon's an elder over at Valley Life Community Church, so he has the great uh, burden to suffer for Jesus uh, <laughs> alongside me as his pastor. <laughs> Uh, this morning, not as a result of you, right? No, no yeah, hopefully, okay. hopefully not. I try to avoid as much of that as I can. Uh, this morning, we're continuing uh, our series, uh, Five Things About Five Theologians uh, in the Spirit of Reformation Month. It is October, uh, and so we celebrate October 31st as the day when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg, and uh, as one book says, set a flame or a fire across Europe and the mm-hmm. church. And so uh, we want to honor that, remember that. We hold it dear uh, as pastors of Reformed churches, and so hopefully we want to share a little bit of insight and knowledge with you this week uh, about the men who uh, led this great reformation of God's church. Today we're going to be looking at Martin Luther himself. Uh, These uh, facts come from an article written by Herman uh, Seldrinus from 2017. So let's begin. Uh, Number one, Luther's motivation was his search for God. I think this is... uh... I found this really interesting. You know, it, it's it wasn't that Luther is a um, you know he was just setting out to start a fight or something like that. Mm. But you know, why did he become a monk in the first place? You know, the the author says it was to search for God, and mm. as he's searching for God, he discovers the God of grace, mm. and uh, as God reveals Himself in that way to him through His Word, that's where the fire in Luther like really got lit as far as opposing then anything that would keep people from this God of grace. I think one of the inter- interesting things about Luther, maybe something that people misunderstand about him, is that he people maybe think that he was intentionally trying to start a fight with the, with the Roman Catholic Church. And that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, these guys are called reformers because they wanted to reform the church back to the scriptures, right? They, option number one was not, hey, let's separate. Right, and it's like, mm-hmm. hey, no, let's let's come together and come together around the scriptures. And there's there's some there's some issues, there's some problems here, and let's right the ship, so to speak. Well, this begins with uh, Luther's search for God, and uh, actually, God found him. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 uh, actually, the God of creation, you know, startled him on on the road in a thunderstorm, and he was so frightened by the lightning that he he says, "So help me." I'll become a monk. You know, so this is part of his first step to trying to discover who this God is that has control of everything. Um, but as a, a result, he wanted to know how he could be right before this God. And and this was something that he struggled with. You know, he went into becoming a monk. He lived as a monk without reproach. He 
and yet he felt himself a, a sinner with a, a terribly and extremely disturbed conscience. And how could he be right with God? He knew that he didn't love God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He knew that was, and he began to hate the very righteousness of God that would put him under this uh, conflict of soul. Yep. He could not figure out how to rid himself of his sin. And that was one of the things that really beat him up over and over. And he beat himself up over and over and over again. How, how do I stop sinning, basically? <laughs> and and that obviously is before he understood the, the grace yeah. of Jesus Christ. He mm-hmm. said, at last, by the mercy of God, uh, meditating night, day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words, namely, in, in it the righteousness of God is revealed. As it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. Mm-hmm. And he began to understand that the righteousness of God is not is that by which we live as a, a gift of God, uh, namely by faith. And so this is where he, you know, he really truly discovers God. That was his motivation. Second little known thing or second thing you should know about Luther. Uh, and this one might be applying a little bit of 2023's language upon it, but uh, Luther designed his own logo. So he threw it up on Twitter, TikTok, <laughs> all that. No, probably not. So what do we If mean? he had it, he would have. It, that's legit. There you go. Yeah, and I think that, I don't know if there's a blue check Luther out there on Twitter, but I'm sure there's a. I'm sure <laughs> there there's somebody. There I'm sure there's somebody tweeting Luther quotes somewhere. You know, this, this one was fascinating to me. I didn't know much about this one, and uh, and it was just kind of neat to go through some of these theologians and learn these new things. But it says that uh, Luther was skilled at public relations, and I just thought. That's interesting. You know, how much public relations was <laughs> yeah. there going that on? Boar in, <laughs> the boar in the vineyard. Yeah, yeah. He's like, <laughs> he's, it, yeah. Well, I think that the thing I appreciate about, appreciate about Luther in this regard is he actually really did enjoy the arts. Yes. You know, one of the things that we know about Luther, he said, next to the Word of God, music deserves the highest praise. Mm-hmm. So he uh, he loved the arts. He loved music. He wrote hymns. He, you know, this matter of the Luther rose, he chose a rose with a, you know, you know, a white rose. The heart at the center is red with, a, you know, a black cross in it that, you know, everything is centered on the cross. He had justification for everything mm-hmm. that occurred within that picture. So if he wanted to explain the gospel from his logo, he could explain the gospel from the logo. And you know, artistically I can appreciate uh, those things. Even even so much as uh, and he attracted artists to him. Uh, Lucas Cranach would uh, provide these etchings and and that for his uh, his translations of scripture. So there was a there was a great appreciation of what God gave us in uh, you know the natural order of things, and so I I, I kind of appreciate that about Luther here. Yeah, I think it's perhaps one of the sad consequences as as the Reformation continued to move uh, historically farther away from Luther is there there may have been some some baby in the bathwater as the church sought to get rid of itself of the decadence of the Catholic Church and a lot of the things that suffered and were tossed away was the arts was the artwork was the decoration mm-hmm. around the around the church building and i think the it's beauty. yeah the beauty of it and i right. think there's there is a spirit of the reformation in, in seeking to continue to use those things as they glorify god and and mm-hmm. bring light to the scriptures mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, third thing about Luther uh, you should know is that Luther published prolifically. I mean, th- this guy put pen to parchment all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's a lot. Uh, it's interesting that we don't have 
or, or maybe we didn't within the Reformed tradition, we don't read more of Luther because there is so much. I mean, he talks about uh, that his writings consist of more than 120 thick volumes. I mean, we read things like Bondage of the Will and whatnot, but but there's not like a ton of material to date that we read from Luther. Yeah, all of his uh, the official edition of his works, I'm not going to try to pronounce it, it has more than 120 thick volumes. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just massive amounts of, of writing. Those those uh, writings that are most popular to us are, you know, Luther's Bondage of the Will, mm-hmm. uh, where he's debating this man we mentioned the other uh, day, Erasmus. Erasmus, who was the guy that brought Luther to the sources, to the original languages, to understand what the Scripture says. Luther comes out of that, you know, not just back to the sp- sources, but the Scripture alone becoming his guide. And then they begin uh, debating, and we have this wonderful book called The Bondage of the Will that mm-hmm. that uh, form, you know, that's probably one of the first books I ever read by Luther yep. uh, would be The Bondage of the Will. Yep, same for me. Um, I also appreciate the table talks and personal correspondence that we have access yeah. to. If you really want an entrance into the personality um, and even humor, I think, of Luther. I mean, he used it. He had a sharp wit and used it, especially in, in yeah. the, the letters that he wrote back and forth in the debates. But, yeah, the guy just he just wrote and wrote and wrote. Yeah. He, he, it, it, very earthy. Yes. <laughs> there's, yeah. a, there's a certain earthiness uh, to Luther, uh, which gives us this understanding of this real person, you know, yeah. in his in his writing and his table talks. You mentioned are just an example of that. He, you know, after he was married, he would is he had this large home, a uh, lot of children, guests all the time, and uh, they would gather around his table and and he would actually in, provide commentary social commentary these things were recorded or written down as part of his table talks and uh, you know you, there was not a time when he wasn't turning people to and understand who God was and how it affected their life yep so that brings us to the fourth thing uh, that Jonathan began to allude to and that is uh, Luther wasn't just a theologian but he was also a family man yeah I mean he was a little bit late in uh, getting married. And we touched on that last week of uh, the the nuns that he tried to help marry off. And there was uh, one in particular that had her eye on him. And uh, she was a good match for him. But he was about 41 when he got married and 42 when he became a father for the first time. And what I appreciated in, in this is that the fact that, I mean, we think of Luther as, I mean, he's this big heavyweight theologian. And just, uh, but we've we've talked a little about his wit and, and stuff, but here, you know, uh, images of pl- playing with his children, teaching them music, and and the the sadness when one of his uh, his daughters passed away, uh, mm-hmm. concern over his his son's struggles in school, and and just these very fatherly things that were in Luther's life. Yeah, I love the the commentary here about his wife too, where it says that she not only took care of the children, but also told her told their father straight if his talk was too full of animosity or if he wasn't taking good care of himself. Yeah. And I was I was reading that with my wife, and I said, you know, hun, I, I think you channel a little bit the spirit <laughs> of Katharina von von. Bora. Yeah, so one time, one time <laughs> the story is that one time, you know. Katerina Van Bora comes down from, you know, the upper chamber of the house, and she's dressed in black like she's going to a funeral, and and he wants to know who died, and she says, "Well, you would think God did, is 
the way you're acting. You know, she, she, she brought a dramatic. Uh, uh, she had flair. She, she had flair. Flair yeah. and wit flowed both ways in yeah. the Luther yeah. household. Yeah. I think that good. that house. She was the match for Luther. She was his Kate. She was yeah. his uh, his rib. Yep. And she was a she was a brewmaster too, right? And yeah. so Luther definitely partook in that. Yep, much hospitality in the Luther home. Uh, which brings us to the fifth part, and Canterita was part of that. But that Luther Luther was part of a team. You know, we think about again, we lift him up as the the great reformer, but he he really had help and partnership and and did his ministry of ref, reforming within the context of community and as part of a team. I think that was part of his ability to disciple others and bring yes. them along beside him. Uh, you know, this is you know he was not trying to draw attention to himself, and as a result, he had uh, a, you know a number of a number of godly men around him. You know, Philip Melanchthon was one of those. And when you start studying Luther, you can't help but uh, realize Philip Melanchthon then picked up that torch after Luther's death. Yeah. Yeah. Any final closing thoughts on Luther for those well, th- listeners out there? You know, I think that uh, you know one of the things that we get from Luther, we need to understand he was faithful to the end. You know, he he actually died in his own hometown. He had gone there to you know deal with a arbitrate a family dispute between two brothers and uh, see them reconciled. He uh, became ill there, and uh, his uh, children were sent for He, he had three sons uh, that came, uh, Jonas, Martin, and Paul, and they watched by his side, and they pressed him. They said, Reverend Father, do you stand by Christ and the doctrine you have preached? And he gave a distinct yes in reply and died shortly after. Hmm. Again, similar to Zwingli, may we all have the same conviction and faithfulness until hmm. the end. You've been listening to the Gospel for Life, and we'll catch up with you tomorrow.